Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us today, that you would challenge us today, that you would call us today, and that you would simply be with us. Lord, open up our ears that we might hear you in new ways, and open up our hearts that we might feel you in new ways. Open up our minds that we might understand you in new ways. Open up our lives that we might be changed. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, in uh, Guidepost, Rob, Ronald Pinkerton describes a near accident he had while hang gliding. Uh, he had launched his hang glider and been forcefully lifted 4,200 feet into the air. As he was descending, he was suddenly hit by a powerful new blast of air that sent his hang glider plummeting straight toward the ground. He writes, I was falling at an alarming rate. Trapped in an airborne riptide, I was going to crash. Then I saw him, a red-tailed hawk. He was six feet off my right wingtip, fighting the same gust that I was fighting. I looked down 300 feet from the ground and still falling. The trees below seemed like menacing spikes. I looked at the hawk again. Suddenly he banked and flew straight downwind, downwind. If the right air is anywhere, it's upwind. The hawk was committing suicide, 200 feet. From nowhere, the thought entered my mind, follow the hawk. It went against everything I knew about flying. But now all my knowledge was useless. I was at the mercy of the wind, and I followed the hawk 100 feet. Suddenly, the hawk gained altitude. For a split second, I seemed to be suspended, motionless in space. Then a warm surge of air started pushing the glider upward. I was stunned. Nothing I knew as a pilot could explain this phenomenon. But it was true, and I was rising. I wonder if there's a lesson there in that image. I wonder if there are times that we have to go down in order to be lifted back up again. Conversely, I wonder if there are times where the harder we try and lift ourselves up, the faster and faster and more hopelessly we'll end up falling back down again. And the challenge, of course, comes in that we don't want to have to be lifted up. We don't want to have to trust like that. We don't want to need to be helped. Because the reality is that we are bad at being humble. And yet maybe being humble would change everything. More than that, maybe that's the whole point. John Calvin, quoting Augustine, wrote, When a certain rhetorician was asked what was the chief rule of eloquence, he replied, delivery. What's the second rule of eloquence? Delivery. What's the third rule? Delivery. So if you ask me concerning the precepts of the Christian religion, first, second, third, and always, I would answer humility. But it's hard. And yet, Maybe it is who we have been called to be, and maybe it is who we've been made to become. And so while we continue to think about that, let me remind you where we are and where 
we are going as we start to wind down our summer series. All summer long, we've been working our way through the parables of Jesus because this is one of the primary ways that Jesus taught. This is how He taught His disciples how to follow Him. This is how He taught His disciples what the kingdom of God is like. He would paint these pictures, these little short everyday stories, and He would just sort of drop them in the middle of a teaching, in the middle of a conversation. And sometimes people would pick them up and try and figure them out. Other times, they'd just miss them. Of course, we have that same opportunity. We can dig into these simple stories, these everyday stories, and try and figure out how they might change us, or we can just, that was a nice story that Jesus once told. But remember, Jesus is using these stories as tools, trying to change us, and so it's up to us to hear them and enter into them and sit with them and ultimately respond to them which means we have some work to do to live these out. So if you would, I would invite you and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. While you're turning there, I'll let you know that just prior to this, in Luke 17, Jesus has just healed 10 lepers, uh, people with leprosy. He sent them to go see the priest. As they were going, they were all healed. But one came back humbly, giving thanks and praise to God. And it was a Samaritan. And Jesus commended him. Then someone in the crowd asked Jesus about the kingdom of God. When is it coming? How is it coming? And Jesus has been answering this question for a while now. And then we turn to chapter 18 to our passage. While I read today, I want you to be listening for who's up and who's down and how do they see and act and respond toward each other. So let's read. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Then Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to Him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time He refused, but finally He said to Himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. Amen. We've got two parables today to look at. They're different. They're making different points. And yet there's also some nice common themes that connect them to each other and to us. And so today I want us to spend the bulk of our time digging into each of these parables. And then we'll see if we can't draw a couple themes all the way through into our lives. Uh, But we'll begin with that first parable of the unjust judge or the persistent widow, depending on how your Bible wants to title it. Uh, Our author, Luke, helps us out with this parable right from the beginning by telling us what the point is before Jesus even starts his story. It's to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And really, That connects us to what he's been talking about. Remember, he's been talking about the kingdom of God coming, and it's here, but it's not all the way here yet. It's coming, but it still has to come, and it may not be here for a while yet. And so what should we do? We should always pray and not give up. And then Jesus tells the parable. The parable starts with a judge. Generally speaking, these were people of means, people of authority, people of power. And we are told that this judge doesn't fear God or respect people very much, which is not exactly a glowing endorsement. I mean, the the not caring about what people think, you you could interpret that a couple different ways. Maybe this judge is just very objective, unbiased, impartial, which isn't bad for a judge. Except the Scriptures generally agree that we are supposed to care for and even show partiality toward the oppressed, the alien, the orphan, and the widow. That's not just appropriate, that's commended. But then we are also told that our judge doesn't fear God, and that definitely paints this judge in a negative light. Let's recognize that all throughout the Bible, we are told that we all are to fear God, respect God, and worship God. And so do not fear God, that, that's a bit of a problem. While that should be true of all people, that's especially helpful if you are a judge in the Bible fearing God, because it means you're going to judge better, knowing that there's a higher authority, a higher judge over you. But this judge doesn't, doesn't respect people and doesn't fear God. Which brings us to our second character, who couldn't be more different. While the judge is powerful, our our widow is vulnerable, poor, helpless in her needs and in her prospects. It's probably also helpful to note, uh, because sometimes we picture this in kind of a more modern way, women got married so young back then, widows were not necessarily old. They could be very, very young. What's more, widows were normally left with no means of support, or not much at least. Uh, Even if their husbands had been people of means, had a lot of wealth, the widow would not necessarily inherit any of it, any of the wealth, any of the status. What's more, the fact that our widow has to come before the judge herself means that she doesn't have any kinsmen who are looking out for her. Normally, it would be the kinsman, a cousin, a nephew, a brother, someone who would bring her case before the judge. So the fact that it's her, that she is bringing her own case before the judge reveals she's got no one. Now, all that said, in the Gospel of Luke, widows tend to be positive examples, so we suspect we should pay attention to her. 
She brings her case before the unjust judge, and while we are not told what the issue is, our suspicion is it has something to do with some material resource that's being withheld from her. But the judge neglects her case and her cause again and again and again. He just can't be bothered. He just chooses to not see. He just doesn't care. And yet she keeps coming. And the judge, after again self-assessing that I don't fear God and I don't care about people, recognizes that her persistence is going to soon wear him down. So he'd better act now. It's also worth noting that when he finally does act, the judge does see justice done, even if it only happens due to her persistence and perseverance. And Jesus concludes, if this is what an unjust judge does, how much more will our good God, our just God, do for His chosen ones who persevere like she did? Obviously, our invitation here is to persistently pray. Not so we can wear God down, because our God is not an unjust judge, but we do it because this is how we stay faithful and how we endure, knowing that God will do even more than we could ever ask or imagine. This is how we live as kingdom people. We persistently pray. Which brings us to the second parable. Uh, Again, Very helpfully, our author, Luke, tells us what we're talking about before the parable even begins. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, and yet this won't come as we expect. Because just like in the last story, the paragon of faith isn't the one we would expect. For those familiar with the Gospels, we know that the Pharisees were often a foil for Jesus. They were the ones who he was most often critiquing, frustrated with, or arguing against. And they were some of the people that really didn't like Jesus much at all either. That being said, they were also some of the most religious and respected of their day. They were seen as being close to God. They lived exceptionally holy lives, and they differentiated and distinguished themselves by following more than the letter of the law. In other words, despite what we often conclude from the New Testament readings, these were pretty good people. Now, sometimes that holiness turned into a holier-than-thou. Sometimes they started to, to look down on other people. Sometimes they believed that they were good implicitly, explicitly. Sometimes they were hypocritical. Sometimes they were pharisaical. And sometimes they made it harder for others to come closer to God, which is why Jesus had a problem with them, and argued with them. And that's why they don't figure very prominently in the Gospels. But by and large, back then, the people would have seen them as faithful and holy and good, if not also a little bit annoying at times. We contrast that to tax collectors. Again, we have to correct some of our modern-day misconceptions here because we're not talking about the ancient IRS. If anything, we're talking about the mob. And so I want us to put ourselves back then for a moment to try and understand this a little bit better. For all intents and purposes, you all, we all are now Jewish, and our land has been conquered and captured by the Romans. And so we are being forced to do what they want when they want how they want. We have to follow their rules, we have to obey their laws, we have to pay their taxes. 
and all of that would be bad enough. But in the course of becoming the Roman Empire, they figured out that one of the best ways to do all that administering is to hire some locals, which is also their policy for collecting tributes and taxes. What's more, as long as the Romans are getting their fair share, they don't mind if a tax collector picks up a little bit extra for their own troubles. In other words, extortion was just par for the course. So now again, put yourself in those ancient shoes and your neighbor, a a neighbor, the, the guy who lives right next to you, a fellow Jew, someone who you know, someone you grew up with, one of us suddenly becomes one of them, goes to work for them. I mean, talk about a traitor. But then let's remember, he, he's from around here. He's a local, and so he knows everyone's business. He knows when times are good. He knows when times are bad. And he has the authority to take advantage of all of that information in any way he wants. Imagine if prior to getting the job, you and he were having an argument about where your property line ends and where his begins, and suddenly he's a tax collector now, and he can do whatever he wants with that. That's what tax collectors were back then. They were extortionists. They were sleaze. They were mobsters. They were thieves, which is why we hate them. I mean, we hate them. So now we get back to this parable. Once there was a a Pharisee, yay, and there was a tax collector, boo, and of course, the Pharisee has been faithful, obviously, and the tax collector is a sinner, obviously, and they both go up to the temple, and then Jesus draws our attention to how they come before God, and, and they're even more different than they were before, though we see now that Jesus starts to weave a surprise into this story. The Pharisee stands confidently close, even if apart from the rabble. The tax collector stands at a deferential distance. The Pharisee is focused on his own faithfulness, his own goodness. The tax collector is overwhelmed by his faults and his failings before God. The Pharisee is comparing himself favorably to everyone else. At least I'm not like them. The tax collector recognizes his smallness his sinfulness. One is self-assured, one is sorry. One is certain, one is repentant. One is judgmental, while one is humble. And Jesus' conclusion is that it's the latter who goes home justified before God. Because, of course, if you self-exalt, God will humble you. And if you are humble, God will exalt you. Again, this is how we live as kingdom people. But let, let's go just a little bit farther. Let's grab a couple of those themes that are working their way through this passage with the rest of our time. Because it seems like Jesus is trying to extend some challenges to us. And it'd be worth looking at them a little bit more closely. And so let's look a little bit more at prayer and persistence and humility. The first of those challenges found in both parables is the invitation, the expectation to pray. And we see it everywhere in both of these. The first parable, we're told that the lesson of the parable is prayer. In the second, the context of the parable is prayer. And if anything, the two parables highlight how we are to pray, praying persistently and praying humbly. 
it's worth noting that we tend to struggle with both of those. The first, for many, is the most obvious because for too many of us, our prayer life is a little too rare, a little bit too distant. We know we should pray, we know we want to pray, but we have trouble making the space, committing to the time, focusing our lives that much. And yet we're called to persistently pray. The other struggle that we have is humility in prayer. Because sometimes I think we get a little bit too familiar with God. God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. God, here's what I want. God, here's, here's some ways you can help. God, here's what I'm going to be working on. I'm going to need you to fill in the gaps this week. God, why don't you go do this, and then why don't you go do that, and here's how I'd like it, and here's how I'd like that. Amen. It's strange. Sometimes we treat God more like that unjust judge, and sometimes we pray a little bit too much like we're the Pharisee, and God invites us into a different kind of prayer life because kingdom people pray differently. Which brings us to the second challenge here, found particularly in that first parable, the invitation toward persistence, faithfulness over time. Like the widow coming before the unjust judge, we are to keep going, keep crying out, keep working, stay faithful. Not just once, not just for a moment, not just occasionally, but continually. And this shouldn't be surprising if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks because we've heard this theme through several different parables that we've been talking about, which means that this is something that was apparently important for Jesus because He reiterated it more than once. And that's because He knew that one of the challenges we would face is consistency. It's hard to stay faithful. It's like the quote that I, I think I centered a sermon series on a decade ago now, but from Friedrich Nietzsche, the essential thing in heaven and in earth is apparently that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. I love that phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. That's our challenge. We got to keep going. We've got to press on. We have to stay faithful, moment by moment, over time. Obedience in the same direction. Which brings us to our final challenge. As we recognize that we don't want to end up like the Pharisee and become all self-righteous in all of this, which is why Jesus calls us to humility. How do we lean on God better? How do we trust God more? How do we rely on God more closely? How do we look and see God more clearly? And in that, how do we take our focus off of ourselves? It's interesting that despite how faithful the Pharisee has been, and the Pharisee has been faithful, he seems to be completely focused on himself as he compares himself overly favorably toward others, whereas the tax collector seems much more focused on, on God as he throws himself on God's mercy and grace. It's funny, the way that they pray, one seems a little less focused on God, and one is a lot more focused on God. 
somehow the tax collector is humble enough to recognize that he has a problem, that he is the problem and the only one who can help is God. He's not worried about what others are going to think. He's not busy comparing himself to others. Instead, he's simply looking toward God for help and healing and hope. I wonder how we would live differently with more humility. If we didn't always need to get our way, if we didn't always need to be first or right, if we didn't always need to be the main character in everyone else's story, maybe we would be able to follow after God better. Maybe it would help us get out of our own way. And maybe it would help if we had a better focus on God. I'll close with this. Uh, Corey Ten Boone was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. Her reply was simple. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of it was for him? She concluded, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus rides in His glory, I give Him all the praise and all the honor. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that You would be in us and through us, that You would continue to do Your work in us, that You would help us be more humble so that you might be seen as more glorious. We, help, we pray that you would help us to become more faithful, so that we might follow you more closely. And we pray that you would help us do all of that in prayer, as we come before you over and over again and again, not so we can make you do what we want, but so that we can be more present with you, more focused on you, more aware of your presence with us. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your persistence, which continues to chase after us. We thank you for the example of your Son, who showed us the meaning and message of humility. And we pray all these things in his strong name. Amen.